Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Extra Point Podcast. Today is Tuesday, January 24th. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm one of the pastors at First Family Church in Ankeny. And every uh, week we take a few moments to look back at last week's text. And we bring some further insight, additional observation, deeper application. That is the purpose of the Extra Point Podcast. Today I want to use some material from 1 Timothy 4 uh, to delve further into a couple of things that I think will help us. Uh, One is more of a preference issue. The other, I believe, would be more of a doctrinal matter. Let's see if we can dive into those and learn some extra things today on the Extra Point podcast. Um, One comes out of 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, and it even relates to something I preached um, the week before last week. As you know, we spoke about elders and deacons. And in this week's text, 1 Timothy 4, 6, Timothy is said to be a good servant of Jesus Christ if he points these things out to the brothers and sisters. Paul is saying that if he reminds the church and preaches the doctrine and teaches the word to the church there, that he'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. The word servant there is the word deacon. And yet no one would say Timothy, who was the pastor at Ephesus, was also a deacon there. They simply see this word as a a word uh, describing his character or perhaps describing his posture. It was one of servanthood. He was a servant of the Lord. Um, It's not the word for slave. That's the word doulos. Often Paul uses that word for himself. Here he simply says to Timothy, if you'll point these things, which would be the things that Paul is writing in this letter, If you'll point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good servant or a good deacon of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in God's eyes, he would see Timothy as a good uh, servant. That same word, servant, deacon, is also used for Phoebe in Romans 16. And so just as no one would say, well, it's used of Timothy, he must have been a deacon, I think the same reasoning applies in Romans 16 when it says that she was a servant of the church. It's simply describing a character trait. It's a description of a quality in her life uh, that Phoebe showed. Furthermore, she's the first in a long list of people in Romans 16 that are all described with various character traits. We might even say labels. Some are called co-workers. Some are described as the first converts. She's described as a servant. Now, to the other side of this argument, uh, there are those who would say that the object of the word deacon in Romans 16 means that she must have been in an official capacity. Romans 16 says that Phoebe was a servant of the church, whereas 1 Timothy 4 says that Timothy was a servant of Jesus Christ. And so one, they would admit regarding Timothy, he this simply describes his posture of leadership under Jesus, whereas with Phoebe, it describes her position uh, within that assembly or body. So there is some evidence in that perhaps that would lean towards saying, okay, maybe she was a an official deacon. I don't see it that way. I think they're both simply descriptions of character qualities and traits within these people, one seen in the church and one seen by the Lord. 
uh, meaning the primary audience in view here. Uh, and furthermore, because Phoebe heads the list of many people called out in Romans 16 and commended for their character and their work and their uh, traits, I don't see these verses as proof text, especially Romans 16. I don't see that verse as a proof text for uh, women as deacons any more than I see 1 Timothy 4 as a proof text for Timothy being a deacon. Again, just some insight as to why I hold the position I do. There's more to be said on both sides, admittedly. And on this issue, we can disagree, remain close friends. Um, <clears throat> churches can do different things in this arena. I'm just providing some insight into why I hold the position I do and sharing with you that this word deacon is used in multiple places to describe the character uh, and the quality and the traits of people in the church. Finally, let me simply address a question that came in this week on the heels of something I referenced in the message. I did spend a, a brief amount of time um, talking about the sanctity of life, the value of life, and how God's truth frees people to live that life and protects them while they live that life. And we were speaking even of the unborn and how God knits us together, how we are all made in His image. And so on the heels of that, someone asked me a very interesting question. They said, Todd, I've heard at First Family lately that uh, we are made in the image of God. All people deserve respect and dignity simply because they're made in God's image. The Imago Dei is the technical term for that. And they went on to ask this question, are we all made in God's image or was just Adam and Eve made in God's image? And they took me to the verses in Genesis 1 where that's what's said in verses 26 and 27, that he made them in his image, both male and female. God created them. But then sin entered the world, and then later after the fall of man, it says that Adam had a son in his likeness. And I think the point of the question was, Todd, aren't we now made in the likeness of Adam, and only Adam and Eve made in the likeness of God? In fact, the person who asked the question sent me a clip of a message by Dr. Adrian Rogers in which he actually maintains this viewpoint. Uh, that only Adam and Eve were created in God's image, and then the rest of fallen humanity uh, were made in the likeness of Adam. He asked me, what do you think of that, and do you believe that? And so I've been thinking about that, and, and here's where I land on that. I thought this might help those of us. This, is, this could be somewhat of a doctrinal point. I don't want to say that the other perspective is, is um, incorrect doctrinally. It could, again, be maybe some... Um, various ways to view it. I would say that man being created in the image of God is a doctrinal point. The extent of man uh, of the word man there may be up for debate to some, but we do know for sure that man, whether it was Adam or whether it was all humankind, uh, is created in the image of God. So to that point, we know that's doctrine. <clears throat> what is meant and what is the extent of the word man? Is it just the first two? Is it every person thereafter? I believe it refers to all of humankind from the beginning of creation forward, that all people are created in the image of God, not just Adam and Eve, but every person from the creation forward. And here's why I believe that. 
It's because of James chapter 3. I, I think it's probably all around verse um, 9, verse 10-ish, in which James is um, explaining that it's not right that um, the same mouth produce cursing and blessing. He's talking about the incongruity, the inconsistency of, you know, salt water and fresh water. And he's discussing the um, use of the tongue and how it can be used for good or evil. And so in this whole paragraph, he says that often the tongue blesses the Lord and then curses man. And then on the heels of that phrase, he says that these men that are cursed, they are people who are made in God's likeness. That's the word for image. So I think it's interesting that James, here in the first century, says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when someone you know, curses against people, they're actually cursing something that was made, cursing someone who was made in God's likeness or image. So James sees the continuation of being created in God's image extending to uh, all of humankind, not just to the first people. So I would say on that issue, which I really appreciate the question, all people, all humankind are created in the image of God and they have their dignity because of this, the Imago Dei is stamped on every single created person. Admittedly, it is marred by the fall of man that came through Adam and Eve. There is a taintedness to this image. It's not in its perfected state like it was earlier, but it will be when Christ returns and we receive our glorified bodies. But I don't think that taintedness or that marring of God's image erases it or distinguishes it. I do believe all people from creation forward are created in the image of God, and I base this on James chapter 3. And I hope that helps you think about where to land and where to stand on this issue as well. Again, perhaps there can be room for disagreement on how far the image of God stamped on mankind extends. Maybe some can hold to the fact that it's only the first two, then after that, it's really in the likeness of Adam until we're saved and then we are rejoined, so to speak, or we are <clears throat> um, brought back again into the likeness of Christ and God. Perhaps that's one way to see it. I think the more biblical and the correct posture is to see that James here <clears throat> is expressing clearly what is true from creation forward, that all people are created in the image and likeness of God. Perhaps on a future podcast, we'll discuss exactly what it means to be created in God's image. But for now, just know that I think that does extend to all people created. Hope that helps, and I'll see you this weekend at First Family Church. Thanks for joining me on this edition of the Extra Point Podcast.